Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. In this episode, I'm talking to careers consultant, published author, TEDx speaker and GDST alumna, Erica Sosner. What is it that we're doing within our education of young women that make them feel that they must be wholly competent before they even consider putting their hat in the ring? Growth is exciting and fun and empowering and sexy. I don't think that they lack confidence. I think they are attached to the idea that they should already be something they haven't worked for. An authority on the subject of careers and the future of work, Erica is a professional member of the Association for Coaching and trains other coaches in her career method. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, and this is Erica Sosner. Erica, thank you so much for coming on to the Raise Her Up podcast. The pandemic has left us with a weakened economy and the prospect of some tough times to come. But is the outlook actually as bleak as all that? What does the careers landscape look like to you at the moment? Well, it's interesting. If you talk to recruiters, uh, you'll find that there is a chronic shortage of people. They've got lots of opportunities and lots of roles, but they're really having trouble filling them. And alongside that sort of challenge around people's mobility, I think people are thinking a lot more about what they want out of their work um, and are giving much more consideration to those criteria and to that decision making in advance of making a move. And lastly, you have the skills shortages. This isn't new. You know, It was uh, clear about 10 years ago that we were going to be short of around 400,000 engineers. So we continue to have gaps where we have lots of opportunity, but a lack of people with the qualifications, expertise to meet them and gluts in other areas where AI and other forms of obsolescence are meaning that some roles are, are, are less relevant or indeed have been hit hard in terms of the industry within the context of the pandemics, for example, high street retail being one of those. So which areas do you anticipate experiencing a real boom over the coming months then? Well, well, it's hard to say specifically, but I think that uh, if we look at kind of generalised trends uh, around the world, um, of course, in any crisis, trends tend to accelerate. And there were a few things that were already big things that have proven out to be growing like a snowball as a result of the pandemic. So one of the most obvious, I'm sure, to people will be the proliferation of purchases made digitally. When our high streets became uh, ghost towns, people had to adapt their purchasing strategies and have all sorts of products delivered to the home that they might otherwise have gone out to get, whether that was clothing or flowers or food and basic materials of that kind. And so that has led to a huge expansion in the digital retail sector with some of those um, more orthodox high street organisations, for example, people like John Lewis uh, having greater presence online and lowering their presence on the high street and some going entirely digital 
uh, on the back of that. So that was an accelerated trend that was always heading towards growth. The same is also true for the digitizing of other forms of services and technology. So uh, you look at things like the fintech industry, for example, banks, again, have been a very um, traditional presence and uh, opportunity in terms of graduate work. Having the, the, the challenger banks and now the digital banks really biting at their heels, really turning out around the methodology and the user experience for people banking. So that's folks like Monzo, Starling have had tremendous growth within that sector. So of course, uh, across the expanse of the technical side of that, the engineering and the development, but also any new startup business needs talent of various kinds on the operational and the sales and the relational roles uh, in order to address that. So that's just some starters for 10, I think, probably about what's growing. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Thank you. So you mentioned there about how COVID has accelerated some of the changes that were already emerging in the workplace. So flexible working and, you know, the concept of having the same job for life feel increasingly outdated. We're also hearing about the disconnect between bosses wanting employees back in the office and employees preferring to work from home. How do you see the ways that we work panning out over the coming months? So I think there are going to be some very interesting systemic changes and some very important conversations. So within the client organizations that I work with, which span across the kind of tech, creative industries, the real estate, the financial services professions, the question is the same about um, what is the purpose of the office? When and how is it important to connect in person and what can be done remotely? There are a couple of really interesting, well, there are many interesting conversations around this, but the first is um, the more junior populations. So uh, our girls heading out into the world in terms of their employment for the first time. Um, How did you previously learn how to do your job? You sat alongside someone who knew how to do it. You listened in to their conversations. You had those moments of coaching, spot coaching uh, in the space that you were in where you shared perspectives and they gave you feedback. So while it may be all very well that um, there is indeed an exciting opportunity to work virtually, it's still the case that in terms of really learning your job on the ground, um, it's important to be next to someone sometimes. (laughs) Um, And I I think um, it's been quite interesting to hear clients battling with this about how do we manage the experiences people want to have while also making sure that they're actually equipped to be able to do the job. You know, it's one thing if I've been in PR and comms for the last 15 years and I move from one organization to another and take my work there virtually, I already know what I'm doing. That's the problem for junior employees. The second problem is also that they aren't always very well set up to work effectively from home. Just in terms of the physicality, the geography, mental health, connectivity, proximity to what's going on, and indeed visibility for progressing our careers. I guess it's also about employers balancing the needs of a very diverse workforce where you may have parents who want the flexibility to you know, pick their kids up from school, but you have young people who do not have the home office and are working from their bedroom, for example. Yeah, there's a huge amount of diversity, isn't there? And there's also, I mean, this is where I think the career conversations work that I do and the work of the equation really comes into its own because it's about unique environmental fit. There are plenty of people absolutely desperate to get back in community, get back at a desk sitting alongside their colleagues because that's where they do their best work. That's where the cross-selling opportunities happen. That's where the visibility and the connection that they get energy from happens. So it's really about an individual conversation with each person in your team, in your organization to understand what's right for them. 
but it is also about balancing the business realities and requirements with what's going on um, for an individual. And of course, making that environment safe and hospitable and enjoyable to be in. And I personally feel very excited about the possibility for flexibility. I think it's been a long time coming, particularly for women who tend to be juggling a wider range of activities alongside their work. I think it's very important that that flexibility is available. But I don't think that closing an office wholesale is necessarily in the best business interests of not just the individuals in the business and the teams, but their clients. Okay, so let's go back to your specific work. People are more likely to change profession these days, have multiple careers in their lives. What brought you into this line of work? Did you have a particular professional experience that changed your direction? Hmm. Well, I guess as an individual, I've always been very interested in other people and how they got where they were going in terms of their work. I think like many uh, children, I was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you feel under tremendous pressure to come up with something sensible. So I wanted to know, how do you answer that question? I also, I went to a GDST school, I'm GDST alumni, I went to Northwood College. And when I was there, I sort of picked up, and I don't know where I picked this up, that there was a split and a kind of attribution of value between academic and creative. But probably a crucial moment for me in my own career was that when I left Edinburgh University, I'd studied social history, I joined the civil service fast stream. And certainly uh, working in the Home Office under David Blunkett was extremely interesting in terms of the subject matter and the kind of activities quite suited my personality in terms of meeting a lot of diverse range of people, writing, reading, creating comprehension of things that could be quite tricky. But where I really struggled was the environment. It was really slow. It was really bureaucratic. You had to be very diplomatic, which I'm not. And you might spend an awesome amount of time working on something and then the government would change and that would be a complete irrelevance. And that just used to drive me around the bend. (laughs) So I started to discover that perhaps environment was the most important factor, that you could have a job that looked like it suited your skills, your interests, how you define success in life, what you consider to be meaningful. But if those things were combined with an environment that didn't suit things like, in this case, your pace, your patience, (laughs) your communication style, you were going to flunk that job. You were going to really struggle to fit in. And that, I think, was probably the time where I thought there's something in this. How is it that I've had a job since I was 11 years old, paper rounds, hairdressers, tour guides, all kinds of, you know, admin jobs at uni and things. I'd done a lot of stuff. And yet I had fallen into an environment that didn't suit my character. And for the first time, probably felt like I was failing or doing a bad job, which really knocked my confidence. And I think a lot of people have had that experience where actually an environment doesn't fit you. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you had that experience? Well, it's just that sense of, well, the old adage, if you love your job, you'll never do a day's work in your life. And the converse of that, obviously, is that if you were in a job that you do not enjoy, then it's utterly soul destroying. We are here ostensibly today to talk about having a careers conversation, how to help parents to have a careers conversation with their child. So perhaps one way to start would be for you to help us to frame or define the word career for our children. Because I know that if I was to say to my 12-year-old, let's let's talk about careers, she'd probably run out of the room. What is a career? How are we defining that? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, Cathy. So in my organisation, Career Matters, we define careers in a very specific way. So we say that a career is a series of choices where we explore how to align our gifts 
with how we spend our time and how we make our money. So notice what's missing from there is anything about any definition of profession. Why? Because the world of work has changed. Your girls are going to be multiple things and then pivot and do something completely new and pivot again. That is a necessity. That agility is a necessity of the world of work that they are entering. So starting that discussion with what do we see as your gifts? What do you love to do? Um, What do we know? What do you and I know and pool and share about what comes really naturally to you? And then how might we make money out of that? How might we spend time doing that? How might we feel like we're never working a day in our lives? It's a really great opener. It's a much better opener than what do you want to be when you grow up? Because first of all, I'm under a lot of pressure to come up with something, but also it's actually a shutdown. Because if I say I want to work in an industry that you know isn't doing very well, it's quite difficult for you not to correct me on that or try to steer. (laughs) When you're talking about what your child really loves and what really floats their boat, what if your child suggests something that you really disapprove of or that you know nothing about? Or what if what your child says is, I like playing Roblox or insert X here that you might not feel particularly fired up about. Is it just a case of just shutting up and listening and trying to have a bit of empathy, putting yourself in your child's situation or? No, I get it. Let me offer two things. The first is just notice how you go from, you've asked them an open question. What do you love to do? They've given you one of their answers, which is I love playing roadblocks. And you have catastrophized that into, they will never speak to anyone again. Just notice that this is something parents do incredibly often. I'm a parent too. I'm guilty of this too, right? So my baby's only 20 months old, but he's been nipping recently. He bites my husband and I. I am in the, oh my God, he's going to bite one of his friends and then he'll be barred from nursery and then he'll be socially excluded forever and be a t- I have gone there, yeah? We all do this. It's important to just notice what you're doing, which is, I've been given this piece of information and from it I have extrapolated a fantasy of disaster and chaos for my child's future. Now, your going there is going to shut that conversation down. So it's up to you. Do you want to have the conversation or do you, would you rather be attached to where you're going in terms of your fantasy for the future? The second thing is also, just because we're having this conversation, it doesn't mean that the only thing they're going to do with their life is play roadblocks right? Um, What's interesting about whatever they come up with, whether it's play roadblocks or, you know, hang around suspiciously on street corners or wear too short skirts or whatever it is that's bothering you, why do you love it? And that is an opportunity around careers. Maybe they love it because they feel like there's something controllable that I'm making progress around and I'm troubleshooting and solving problems. Maybe they love it because it feels like an, an, an escape into... Uh, another world. Maybe they love it because it's sociable and they connect with their friends. I don't actually know how this game works, right? You can tell I'm not my... Oh, <laughs> give it a few years and you will. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I know. I know that it's inevitable for me. But but I also just want you to notice that you're also enmeshing a conversation that's exploratory around careers and your person's fu- your child's future with your guilt about how you've managed that, how they spend their leisure time. Though that that's not your child's problem. If, if if you feel uncomfortable about how much screen time they have, go sort that. But not in this conversation. Okay. So on that point, in my experience, uh, children are least likely to heed key messages when they are delivered by a parent. So how can you get your child to listen to this and engage with this conversation? 
So I think it is less about getting them to listen to you <laughs> and you getting better at listening to them. Good point. <laughs> That's where the problem starts. The problem is in the telling. Telling allows for no discovery. Think about it for yourself as an adult. That hasn't changed, right? When someone does tell it you or you feel, you know, whatever it is, mansplained to or dictated to, you shut off. That's just a human thing. It's not a kid thing. It's just a human thing. So the first thing is get into listening and curiosity mode. Go on a, a, on a thought adventure together. And the career equation, which is the model that we use for all of our career conversations, whether we're working with people at school age all the way to, to retirement and beyond, is the same. And I think it's quite helpful because it's got just four questions that you can ask and listen to the answers to. So we say the equation, it's actually not an equation at all. It's just a way of understanding the four buckets, if you like, of, um, of criteria that people think about and that matter when they have a fulfilling career. So let me tell you briefly what they are, and then I'll tell you what the questions are to really activate that. So the equation says we want to work in an area of skill. We want to do something we're good at that comes naturally to us. That's not too controversial. That kind of makes sense, right? And we want to apply those skills and add them to an area of passion something we are enthusiastic about, curious about, enjoy. So that could be an industry like I love fashion or I love music or I love art or I love doing deals, right? But it can also be ways of being and doing. For example, I love solving tricky problems, yeah? So getting underneath who have we got in front of us and what do they just lose time when they do that? Yeah. And you've been watching them. You've got the advantage of being watching them since they were little tiddlers. Right? So actually that insight about that natural disposition, do they love the natural world? Do they love putting things together? Do they get really excited when they go to the cinema? And what is it that they look at when they do? Actually, what a lovely conversation to have about how you have observed them. You're not telling them how to do stuff. You're just telling what you observed and having a laugh about the things that they always loved. So you've got skills, working in an area where you have a natural strength. You've got passions, working to a subject area or way of being and doing that you enjoy. And then you've got impact, which is effectively, how does the person in front of you define success? Now, it's easy for us to assume that success is all about uh, money and status, and that can be part of the mix. But usually when you talk to people about what really matters and makes you feel successful, there's a much wider range of things than you might imagine. And this is probably the bit that your young person has considered the least is, you know, what is it that makes me feel like I've had a good day or I've done something valuable with my life or I've created a sense of meaning? Being able to really explore that value set with them can be extremely helpful. So you have these first three pieces, skills plus passion plus impact. And then we say that can be enhanced or massively compromised by the environmental fit, what I talked to you about earlier with the home office. So the fourth component is really understanding where does your child do their best work? Are they very collegiate and they thrive as part of a team? Are they someone who enjoys a really peaceful environment and just getting their head down? And um, do they like to be indoors, out of doors? Do they like a fast pace with quick results? Or are they willing to go slow and steady wins the race? Really understanding their makeup and, and to think about it almost like the plants in your garden. Each plant has a unique design. It comes from a particular genus and it does well in a different kind of environment. So one is to understand the plant. This is an orchid. 
The other is to understand that orchids do well in quite kind of brutal, dry environments. If you put them in a bog, they'll do really badly. These are the four components of the equation, and they apply for everybody regardless of age, right? How do I know what my strengths are? Use those strengths to apply them to an area or an interest or a way of being that I care about and enjoy and to generate a result that is meaningful to me. Now, that can be results both for me as an individual, but maybe also serving a slightly wider agenda that I feel is important to me. And then how do I do all those things in an environment that suits who I am and where I work well? So what we're trying to do through the equation is to generate the insights and the curiosities about how am I designed? And on the basis of that self-knowledge, to then get curious about where does one of those do well then? Where would I find that combination of those four factors for me? So let me give you the questions and then I'll offer you some coaching about how to then get into the discussion that I know you sort of want to have <laughs> out the other side of it. Okay, so here are the four questions. They're super easy, really, really easy. The first for skills is what are you good at? As Brits, we can be, you know, not very good at this, right? So you might have to really encourage them to be generous about it. What would their friends say? Can I give you some feedback? What I see, I think you're good at. You tell me what, what comes as naturally as breathing to you. And you can have a good laugh about it as well, right? Because people make a living out of making people laugh. People make a living out of being a great cook. People make a living out of spotting opportunities. It doesn't have to be a subject. But if it is a subject, it's really interesting to drill into what's involved in that. What is it about maths that you is playing to your strengths? Yeah, I love the pattern spotting. I love the neatness of the outcome. I love getting involved in the tricky problem solving. So really dissecting, this is one of the problems that, that school creates, that the subject matter doesn't really align with the work you do. If, you, if they do love history and they're good at history, what is it they're good at is a really interesting dissection. Secondly, what do you love? And why? Why do you love that? So if you love, if they love uh, costume drama and kind of set design and things like that, you know, on, on period programs, what is it? I love the colour. I love the research. I love the attention to detail. I okay, interesting. Because also this doesn't mean they're inevitably going to do that thing for their career. It's just an explore. We're just beginning. Yeah. So we want to keep the channels open. So the third one is impact, which is um, what really matters when it comes down to it for you. What really matters? You know, what do you think um, would make you feel like you had a really successful life? And this is a big question. It's an interesting question. And kids have a view on it. And of course, this invites you to also answer the question. They might ask you, and what about you? How do you define success in life? How have you measured it? So it's an opportunity also to offer disclosure. And, you know, so when I say don't tell, don't tell them what to do, I do think it's really important to tell them who you are actually, especially in relation to this question where they may have never really thought about it that way before. In each episode of Raise Her Up, we hear from a member of our GDSC family. Karen Kimmerer, GDSC Learning and Development Manager, works directly with students to help prepare them for jobs that don't even necessarily exist yet through developing transferable skills that will serve them well regardless of the career direction they take. Here she is to explain how she works. Hello, my name is Karen Kimmerer and I'm a member of the Innovation and Learning team at GDST. Everyone remembers conversations about what do you want to be when you grow up from when they were a child. I think a far better question to ask is, what problems do you want to solve? This might be big global issues such as poverty, 
or climate change. But they could also be smaller, closer to home things. From there, you might find out what kind of career paths you would like to follow. At GDST, we start careers conversations at an early age to help our students to understand where they might fit into the world. So we facilitate conversations and presentations with employers, alumni and peers to build knowledge and open hearts and minds. We have our own mentoring app called Rungway, where sixth formers can ask questions to alumni. We have the GDST Life platform, which also facilitates questions among peer groups. It's great also to be able to offer virtual work experience placements to all students in GDST Year 11s. As well as this, sixth formers are invited to look behind the scenes at Insight Days with companies such as PwC to really understand what it's like to work in those organisations. We want our students to feel confident and prepared too, so we have career start workshops that anybody can attend. These are in areas such as preparing a LinkedIn profile or getting ready for an online interview. We're here to help and we're really excited to hear what the future holds. So Erica, we are the GDST, the Girls' Day School Trust, and we work on educating girls and young women. Now, a few years ago, Sheryl Sandberg, Chief Operating Officer at Facebook, famously said that men apply for positions if they meet 60% of requirements, whilst women will not do so unless they feel that they meet 100% of those requirements on the job spec. What's your view on this? And how do you think that we can help our young women to kind of shift that mindset and overcome self-doubt? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I, it's certainly something, a statement and a kind of number that, that I hear a lot. The men don't have all the skills to do the job and they still apply. The women don't have all the skills to do the job yet and they don't apply. It would make sense, whatever your gender, that you would choose something that's got some stretch in it. So it isn't that the men consider themselves more capable than the women. It's that they they don't let the fact that there is a gap between who they are and where they want to be ultimately in the role stop them from applying because they understand that you learn as you go. So what is it that we're doing within our education of young women that make them feel that they must be wholly competent and already able to do all of those things before they even consider putting their hat in the ring? It's that. I don't think it's lack of confidence. I think it's an emphasis on perfectionism. I think it's an anxiety around failure. I think it's um, a lack of curiosity around experimentation. You know, and it's a shame because whatever our gender, we learn to do things through making mistakes. At some point, you decide that that's not okay. How did you learn to play the piano? You played your scales wrongly loads of times, (laughs) and then you played them rightly. And that experiment, that failing quickly, that learning as you go is exciting and fun and empowering and adventurous and sexy. I don't think that they lack confidence. I think they they are attached to the idea that they should already be something they haven't worked for. Okay, so we are talking about doing what we're good at, finding our passion deciding what our impact should be, finding an environment that fits us and taking risks. Yeah. And and knowing that it's going back to my um, definition, it's a series of choices. You take that information and your self-knowledge and you make a choice 
based on the best insight that you have. And if you follow the equation, your girl's advantage will be 300-fold better than someone who hasn't asked her that and hasn't explored that with her because she will already be in line with her gifts. And then you make your best choice. You try and you see and you learn and you work hard because I think that's the other thing that I experience is that anything worth having in life is at times difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. If it was easy peasy lemon squeezy, then it wouldn't be worth having. So it's also knowing that, you know, taking the risk and taking on the challenge. But if you take on the challenge where you are misfitted, you're a square peg to a round hole on a roll, it will be very difficult and painful and you will likely experience a sense of failure, as I did, and lose a lot of confidence. So we really need to be in the business of helping our children to understand their design and how that design evolves over time and to encourage them, therefore, to get curious about what kinds of work, what kinds of industries and environments might really suit someone who likes those kinds of things. So if I love roadblocks, then maybe the gaming industry is a place I want to spend some time finding out about. How many jobs are there in the gaming industry that are not just about sitting in front of the console and testing the game? Thousands. And maybe you don't know anyone in the gaming industry, so it's making you feel anxious. How am I going to help them to get ahead with that? Well, that's okay. There's this amazing thing called the internet. Send them to the people who make the game that they love and let them go and understand what does that ecosystem look and feel like? What is a day in the life of a gaming designer like? What kind of skill sets did they need to have? How hard did they have to work? I know where parents want to get to. What they want to get to is a happy child with a happy life. We all want that, yeah? Everyone wants that. And so we invest in their education. We invest huge amounts of time and love and energy in helping them. But the bit that has been missing is that insight about, I'm made like this. And in the world of work, there is a place and space where I can add enormous value because when your daughter knows her design, finds the right place, she will do remarkable things, which is what you wanted anyway. Erica, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for opening my mind in particular. And thank you for offering such pragmatic and applicable advice. Thank you. And Erica's book, The Careers Equation, is available now. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Cathy Walker. Join me on the next episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST, when I'll be with TV executive producer, writer and neuroscientist, Dr. Cathy Rogers. Everyone can get better at creativity, just as they can with maths. I totally believe that's possible. And I think that the first step of that is imbuing that sense of possibility in children. I'll see you then.